My next guest is Jens Knoop. What a lovely guy. He has created the most extraordinary hot chocolate brand, Knoops, which has now got seven stores. It is a firm favourite of Harry's. He discovered this brand. And then as we looked at his bank statement, we realised he spends 90% of his money now on hot chocolate. So I thought we need to talk to this founder because who creates a business with 21 options? And it's just going great guns. But speaking now to Jens, I realise it's his German heritage. It's that fascination in taking a niche and having fun within it. And I think we're going to learn so much from that one single idea. This certainly is going to be a firm favourite to anybody who's a chocoholic. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Jens. I have just been speaking to you off camera about my son's love of your company. And we're going to talk to you today about Knoops, which is an amazing hot chocolate company. Um, We've just had one open up in Richmond. And it is, well, as my son says, it is the best hot chocolate I've ever had in my life. And so congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you, Holly. Good to be here. I love your son. Great guy. I haven't met him yet, but uh, a great endorsement. And I really want to meet him. Um, So just to give him a tour through the chocolates, uh, it sounds like he had pretty much all of them already. But as you said earlier, he has a sweeter tooth. So let me try to explore some darker chocolates with him. That would be fun. Please, because we're going to talk about this. You've never heard anything like it. But um, Jens, I like to go back to the beginning of founders' stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Chocolate was always held as a special place in your heart, wasn't it? Because I was reading when researching you how your grandmother would always always reward you with chocolate as a child. And it was almost like a ceremonial experience. Tell me about that. That's exactly it. Ceremonial. So my grandmother, my grandparents, both of them are very, very clean and neat people. So you never come in with dirty shoes, with dirty hands. You always wash yourself. So as a treat, take off your shoes, wash your hands, sit in the very comfy armchair. And here's a little tray with a few chocolate biscuit and small um, chocolate pieces. Because you've been good, you look clean, um, here it is, here's your treat. Of course, at that age, it was always fairly sweet chocolate. There wasn't a range of chocolates available, um, which was about, well, I would say 45, 46 years ago. But that was my introduction to chocolate. And it was always in small doses. It was never binge eating or a lot of chocolate. So I would mm-hmm. appreciate mm-hmm. every time she gave me that chocolate piece or the few pieces as a reward. 
And I will always remember that. I can still visualize the room I'm sitting in, which was the living room, the big armchair, where the armrest was covered, so nothing gets yeah. dirty, with a little plastic tray in front of me and, and a few chocolate pieces in there. It's a very visual uh, memory I have of this. Mm. And, and then the sweetness and the mouth and... Yeah, the reward. I very vividly remember that. It's amazing when I've had the privilege of speaking to over 130 founders and so many businesses are born through a memory of a child, of themselves, through a love that they had. And it just, it's something very comforting about that, I feel, that you can create business from almost what you were always going to do. Somehow you can trace it back, that golden thread. Mm -hmm. um, you grew up in rural Germany, and I know that there are some absolutely beautiful traditions that have evolved and involve children and families, such as decorating gingerbread houses on Christmas mm -hmm. Eve and mm -hmm. parents giving their children these giant-filled sweet cones on their first day of school. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes. So tell me, so were some of these magical traditions part of your childhood? Because I ask, because I feel like, you know, there is heritage coming through your brand. Absolutely. Um, so let's walk back a couple of weeks. Christmas. Mm -hmm. In Germany, we celebrate Christmas a little bit different. Yes, there's a lot of chocolate and, and very specific chocolate items with um, beautiful gifts. Um, but for us, Christmas is on the 24th at six o'clock. And it's the big reveal. As a child, you're not supposed to see the Christmas tree and the presents underneath until the 24th at six o'clock. Oh, I didn't know Whereas that. Whereas over here, um, you see the whole process um, and everything. And then on the 25th, you're driving everybody crazy at 4 a.m. This does not happen <laughs> in Germany. It's 6 p.m. in Germany on the dot. The big reveal, everybody gathers around the Christmas tree. But yes, the first day at school, the sweet cone. There was definitely chocolate in there, but then also utensils like a ruler, a pencil sharpener, and so on. And, and then you had your group picture taken, uh, very endearing, very sweet, um, but there was always chocolate involved as a treat. Yeah. You get more chocolate if you go to a school and you perform and you get your grades back. So I, lo I love those. A lot was um, included in the countryside, long walks. Some similar aspects over here as well, but definitely, definitely for the area where I grew in, which was near Hanover, very specific. Often food, often decoration, outside dancing around a tree, very seasonal rituals. Pagan, yeah. almost pagan. Yeah, yeah. It's just gorgeous. And I love the symbolic meaning of these traditions and the emotion that they evoke. As you said, it's it was all had its place. And, and I think um, there's a lot to be said about that. So if we go forward a bit, when you were a little older, you came to the UK, didn't you, to study photography in Bournemouth. Correct. And this led you working for a technology company. You were carrying out market research and mm -hmm. working with focus groups that took you all over the world. Yep. You travelled, you got exposure, I suppose, to lots of different flavours and cuisines and yep. things. What sort of impact did that have on you? I, I, so there was one traumatic impact when I was in, in China. Fantastic people, beautiful cooking, a lot of celebration, family gatherings going around uh, with food, uh, sitting in big tape. A lot of effort is going into the food. Mm. But then as a guest of honor, a duck was roasted. And 
as a head of the table and as a guest of honor, I received the head of the duck. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So that was an interesting experience. And I, I, I had to admit, yes, I appreciate the gesture. I don't think I'm going to eat this. No. <laughs> but it was beautiful to see the importance of food yeah. in Asia as a bond between family where everybody's busy, but suddenly they're all coming together for the meal, which we're kind of losing a little bit over mm. here. I remembered from my childhood the Sunday lunch dinner thing, but over there they do it in a much bigger style with a lot of preparation. I also saw that in Italy, uh, where I was working a lot, uh, where food has just a strong importance. What was interesting now looking back that I'm so involved in chocolate, how much Asia is connected to chocolate. Yes, they grow it, Asia Pacific, but they don't actually consume the chocolate over oh, there. Oh, really? And that very often happens in cacao growing and producing countries. Very often it's too warm yep. in order to store chocolate. And then it comes to Europe or um, the Northern Hemisphere. But it had a, it had a very strong impact. The presentation um, of food in Asia, so much care is uh, is put into that. Um, the arrangement on the plate. Mm. With us, it's it's a very different approach. Certainly uh, me as a German, it was always, it was always a lot of food on the plate. But mm. traveling to Japan, total opposite. Total yes. opposite. It's about individual flavors, minimalism, yeah. and certainly eat less than a proper Sunday roast in Germany. Yeah, absolutely. And so traveling around and you were absorbing these cultures and you were looking at food. Mm -hmm. When you were traveling around, you picked up on something that a lot of different cultures were saying, that small, affordable luxury, this, this idea that us humans, wherever we're from, we like to treat ourselves, mm -hmm. but it's not grand gestures. It was small gestures. Tell me more about that, because I found that fascinating. Um, I think one of the defining moments was when I was sitting in the subway on, and riding on the train and on the subway in, I think it was Beijing, and I saw a, a very smart girl opposite, but she was obviously working very hard. Uh, you kind of could tell that she was a nine to five or even eight to six worker. Yeah. And she had this paper bag, shopping bag in front of her, which screamed a very big, luxurious brand. But I could see inside, it was just a tatty jumper in there. So I thought, okay, there is this desire. Mm -hmm. um, there is this, I want to reward myself. Mm -hmm. I can't afford the jumper of that brand, yeah. but I can I can treat myself. I can give the impression. And and. I know from my personal experience, chocolate for me had an instant impact immediately. The taste, the memory, the energy that chocolate can give you. It's, and depending on your budget, you can spend very little or you can spend a lot on chocolate as you yeah. wish. And that is that small treat I saw nobody has explored yet at the time when I was thinking about working in chocolate. 2012, 2013, People had a tough time. Mm. There wasn't a lot of wealth around, but people still, I think they deserve a treat. Mm, absolutely. And and it's little things, isn't it? Like if we actually think about it, you know, we'll pick up a lipstick and that will make a f f woman feel great. You'll, as you said, you'll, you'll, you'll buy something food related and it's, it sort of marks that moment. I think mm -hmm. it's where the biscuit comes, doesn't it? It's the treat. It's that little thing. Okay. I've had a hard day. I'm just going to treat myself. Mm. And I think it's those comforts that we can bring to our, our world. Yep. Um, and sort of it's 
it's slightly nourishing, isn't it? It's our self-nourishing. It's a moment that we can congratulate each other. Take a moment to appreciate if you've gone through something hard, you've had a tough meeting, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We we do do that. And I've never actually thought about it. But great for you, great for chocolate and the industry. But you moved out of London and were living in East Sussex at the time. And Mm -hmm. you'd noticed this shift of customers becoming more aware and more interested in chocolate and its origins and Mm -hmm. how it was grown and how this might actually affect its taste. And you thought, right, there's a gap in the market, just like lots of founders do. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this moment. Tell me about this light bulb moment. Um, Okay, so uh, the company I worked for before, uh, video streaming around the world, had the head office in Tunbridge Wells. Um, So I I started commuting between London, Tunbridge Wells, and then looked at a little house in in Cambersans, near Rye in East Sussex. And I came to the end of my career. I would have to uh, move to the US in order to pursue the career. That was 2012. But I thought, okay, no, I like Europe um, a lot and I I want to do something new. All the experiences I have gathered working as a photographer, as well Mm -hmm. as the opinion research and market research I've done um, globally, this all adds up to something. Yes. My love of chocolate was coming into that. But of course... 2010, 2011, I would have never thought of pursuing a career in chocolate. You can't make money out of that. You can't make a living out of that. But I was, it, I think it was um, winter, the end of 2012, when I was walking and I enjoyed walking through London and I was craving a hot chocolate. And the offering was small, shallow and really boring. Yeah. High-end chocolatiers offered a, one very good hot chocolate, uh, but it was a very limited range. The bigger chains had one chocolate, and that usually wasn't the quality I was craving or wanted to have. Um, and I thought, okay, nobody has looked into this. At 2012, around that time, the bean-to-bar market emerged, where um, smaller chocolate makers were coming onto the market as well, which also meant that the consumer wanted to get more involved into gourmet chocolate. Mm-hmm. So there was a demand, there's an offering. Um, and that always goes hand in hand, I believe. Mm. Um, so I thought, okay, uh, let's do a, f- a little focus group with all my friends. I know they like chocolate. And uh, let's let's just taste a few chocolates. And I thought, okay, I think you're on the winner here. Let's just do it. And that was the pretty much the overnight decision. I'm leaving the career in market research. I pursued before. And I'm just opening a hot chocolate bar. At that time, I called it a hot chocolate bar because when I opened 2013, March, April 2013, I had no idea what I would do during the summer. I just, yes. I was just <laughs> diving into that. I thought everybody will drink. I'll deal with that when it comes. <laughs> and and to be honest, I thought everybody will drink hot chocolates during the summer. It's 30 degrees outside. No, they will all drink hot chocolates. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you basically you made this overnight decision. Was it a feeling of if you love the hot chocolate bar, everybody else will as well? And how did you come across the difference? Because actually, for those who don't know about your brand, there's 21 varieties of chocolate drink, right? right. So. Mm-hmm. So someone would say normally, wouldn't they, listen, concentrate, concentrate on one thing, do it really, really well. Mm -hmm. But you've gone and said, no, I'm going to totally mix this up. This Mm -hmm. has never been done before. Mm -hmm. We're actually going to have a huge amount of options. Talk to me about that confidence in doing something different. What is interesting that um, that you mentioned, do one thing. 
we still do that. We yes, still of do course. Yes, actually, yes. one thing, yes, but we, within those parameters, within that um, chocolate drink parameter, we give the customer uh, a lot of options. So dietary requirement, vegan, um, intolerances, what kind of mission are you on? What kind of desire do you have? So th that was my focus. I'm doing one thing and that's chocolate drinks. But within that, I'm giving the customer the choices they have never experienced before. Yes. And then I did my research. Who's out there? Who's producing chocolate? Which chocolates are tasty? Which remind me of my childhood? Which are challenging to push out the boundaries a little bit, to speak more to the gourmet market? Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring a whole range of customers in, all age groups. And whatever the taste bud is, I wanted to provide that. Yeah. And so within that one thing, the chocolate drinks, give as many options as possible. Did people think you were nuts? Did yep. your friends think, yeah, totally. tell me about, it's, it's a brilliant thing, isn't it? So many people that we interview, you know, say, I had to try and persuade my husband. I had to, you know, my friends thought we were going to go bust in the first week. Talk to me about how you had the sort of, the bravery, I suppose, to keep with that idea? Well, first of all, I liked it. So I, I'm sure there are other people out there. Um, yeah. I could speak with confidence um, and I can produce it with confidence because I, I like it. And mm. I, I can sell that to the customer. I can convince the customer, this is really good quality. It will throw you back into your childhood. Just give it a try. And then also give me your feedback. If it's too hot, too cold, too strong, too sweet, too dark, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we will adjust that. So um, a customer service on the highest level. But yeah, I mean, we the first shop opened in Rye in uh, the end of March, 2013. And of course, the local community was very curious. A, how do you pronounce that name? Yeah. What is it? Not another coffee shop. Yes. All that. All that. <laughs> I could have printed the T-shirt. This is never going to work. But I get it. It is very different. I know it's comfort and it's not, it's something we all grew up with, but mm. that offering is um, unprecedented. That has never happened before. Nobody has explored such a tiny niche. Yes. But I think it's such a comforting and exciting product that I thought, okay. But then, of course, the very first customer that came in ordered a double espresso. <laughs> But what the hell? <laughs> Hang on a minute. Did you not read <laughs> what, what I'm doing here? What, what, what are you saying here? But it was funny. It was very, very funny. And of course, it took a while and the locals came in and I introduced myself. First of all, that it was my mission to add to the local food scene, not to elbow my way in and push other other businesses out. I'm not another mm -hmm. coffee shop. I'm mm -hmm. not another tea room, not another restaurant or um, coffee shop. This is what I do. I'm adding something. And I think they appreciated that. Yeah. And I think that's important, isn't it? It's so important. Uh, how was the community in terms of, you know, we talk a lot about community at Holly & Co and how important it is. Now, you opened in Rye. You didn't open in London, for instance. And mm. we're going to talk. You've expanded into London. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to Andy Hunter, who was the founder of Bookshop.org. And he spoke about this role of independent bookshops and what they play in a community. And sometimes we just don't think about these things do we we think about a coffee shop you know i have one at the holly and co you think about a bookshop but put them all together this is what creates community it brings people together mm. and i'm sure everyone and rye were very happy in the end weren't they that you had opened 
But what do you feel about community, the independent scene, the fact that we may be having to build our high streets up again Mm. through small businesses? Mm. Is that something that you knew you wanted to do? Absolutely. And and Rye was certainly very, very challenging. So Rye was actually the perfect um, starting point. Yeah. I couldn't have afforded to open in London to yes. start with. I mean, the rent and rates and everything. Yeah. But the council, um, the, what's called the Rother Council, the district of Rother, the Rother Council has been very, very supportive right from the beginning because I saw the potential mm-hmm. to add something to Rye to make Rye an interesting place for tourists. Yes. Um, yeah. Rye is needs tourism, even though it doesn't look like a tourist town, but that attracts a lot of people. So the locals, they got the messaging. They said, okay, this is not a this is not a massive chain. It's something individual. This is something brand new. It incorporates local flavors. We are mm-hmm. we employed local people. We were working, we are working with local dairy farmers, bakeries, and so on. We incorporate the whole atmosphere. A lot of tourists were coming into our store, are coming into our store, as well as locals. So that's where they're all meeting each other as well. A lot of um, local businesses were advertising with us. So it was a meeting point. We had little group meetings talking about how to refurbish the roundabout below the shop. Mm. They're coming together. Mm. And I was overhearing their um, discussions. They didn't talk about the roundabout. They talked about the chocolate. So I thought, okay, that's fine. (laughs) And then there's a lot of outdoor seating as well. It's a great meeting point um, for the people that are spending a day in Rye, as well as the people that have been living there for 50, 60 years. Years, if not generations, um, because Rye is a very small community. They all know each other, but it has become a focus point because mm. a lot of people are talking about Knops and a lot of people reference Rye in connection with Knops. Okay, so, so there's a little an, sense yeah. of pride as well yeah. after this is never going to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, they took that T-shirt off, didn't they? But what do you think about um, our high streets at the moment and what's going on? And, you know, there, there's at Holly & Co, we've championed and I'm so passionate about small businesses building back up our communities. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is something that we're going to see in the future? Do you think that actually those listening, you know, what I want to do is try and encourage people to get out there, you know, yeah. so you took that plunge, you took your corporate life, you stopped your corporate life mm. and you went and opened a hot chocolate mm. bar. Mm. Those listening might be thinking about taking the plunge to go and take their first space. Mm. Would you recommend it? Absolutely. There's nothing better than the high street experience. Yes, we all do online shopping because sometimes we have to um, for many reasons, uh, restrictions or convenience. But the chat you have with the in-store staff you appreciate it as well as the staff, the communication, the advice you get, the experience. You can't beat that. Mm. Certainly from our perspective, yes, we have a whole online side to the business where you can recreate what you have experienced in the store. Yeah. And that's very, very um, important because there are, as you said, 21, 22 different choices, uh, which for a lot of people can be a little bit overwhelming and daunting, but we're here to create the best experience possible. And that happens in the stores 
on the high street. And do you think about, you know, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker? And it's something that we really um, have to understand, As your to your point, is your local store is so much more than mm. the butcher, the hot chocolate store. Mm-hmm. These are these sort of living embodiments of places where we meet, we connect, and that is what's going to maybe build in a time where we're all spending more time at home, this pandemic, all these sorts of things. Mm. It is vital that we get out. Mm. You know, until we've got the chip implanted in our brains, you know, we basically need connection. And that is what the independent high street will bring us. So there you are, you're thinking, right, I've got to do this different. And I talk about retail theatre a lot as well, you Mm -hmm. know, bringing an experience. It's known as knupology, isn't it? Knupology, right? So there is an art to knupology. And I love that you've created these words. This is all the, (laughs) isn't it? It's, It's the reason we have our own brands. We can do what we like. So What is knupology? Knupology is the art and the science of creating the perfect chocolate drink for you. There's four, five, six steps to get to that perfect drink. It starts with, would you like a hot or cold drink? Then do you have any dietary requirements? Are you vegan or um, dairy intolerant or gluten intolerant and so on? And then do you have any taste preferences? Would you like to add ingredients to it? Um, We have a whole range of ingredients as traditional as a little bit of cinnamon, chili, sea salt, as well as rosemary, star anise. And and that's a never-ending list, which I always update because there are food trends out there, which I monitor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, and sometimes I think it doesn't work. And then the, the customer's happy with something I never heard of. So um, yes, always, yes. always adapting, always listening out. But it's the journey from hot, cold, percentage, dietary requirements. Would you like to embellish it with an ingredient? And that journey leads to your perfect chocolate drink, which we call Knopology. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. Every week, we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a huge range of topics. Here I am answering a question asked by the Happy Little Gift Shop about how to stand out as a retailer amongst competition. You've got to have a point of difference. You know, you've got to be something that someone remembers. It's a really hard one to answer there because ultimately, I would say as a retailer, you've got to have the story. You've got to have depth. You've got to have great imagery. You've got to have a great tone of voice. You've got to, if you've got a physical space, you need retail theatre. You need to have a culture and values within your organisation that everything, I always talk about the golden thread. You know, to stand out as a retailer, sometimes it's not the stunts. I would love someone to say, oh my God, that's so Holly & Co. When you get that, when that's that moment, oh, that's so Holly & Co., You've done it because what hopefully happens is the golden thread is the same at the congregation of inspiration, the same as do what you love, love what you do. When you walk in and have a cake in our workshop, if you Instagram, if you read one of the posts, if you comment everything, if you listen to the podcast, there needs to be a golden thread. And sometimes that joined upness is the thing people remember. 
For the latest lessons, advice and insights, visit holly.co slash hub for my business advice hub, a free online resource thanks to Dell Technologies filled with content from myself and some of our small business community, sharing lessons from our journeys to help you navigate yours. And with a continued commitment to empower you, every week Dell are giving away one tech in a box. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co slash get involved with thanks to Dell Technologies. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. very clear vision to how your shops would look because you've now expanded haven't you to seven more shops but let's talk about the way they look and feel because mm-hmm. I'm a strong believer that actually one of the reasons you need a physical presence is because we are becoming so sort of switched off to online experience you know one website merges into another website etc mm-hmm. etc and i think we are craving difference so this is why i advocate getting physical space but then you almost need to make that impact that brand impact so did you have mm-hmm. a very clear vision describe it for the listeners you know when you walk in so when you walk in the first thing you see is almost like a scientific periodic table at the back wall of the shop, which displays all 21, 22 percentages, as well as options, as in uh, milk options and then other drink options. That's always an interesting journey. We're in constant discussion. This is our mark. This is how we are perceived. Some say it's Germanic, scientific. I can live with that. That's fine. But it's it's very, it doesn't... But you know what? That's good. I you like know, so it, For yeah. me, so everyone listening, you know, here is a German guy creating a hot chocolate brand. Yeah. I always talk about the brand heart of businesses. Mm. And in your brand heart, the thing that's your living embodiment of your brand, for you, it is German. It will be that way inclined, won't mm-hmm. it? But that's what makes it beautiful. It it makes it defendable, doesn't mm-hmm. it? That if we all have our uniqueness, maybe from where we're born to how we were brought up, mm-hmm. that needs to go into the brand heart. So when I walk in, now having listened to you, I will understand why it looks as it does. And for me, that's something beautiful, actually. And I think my mission at the beginning was also, it's quite a clear approach. It's a little bit more factual what these chocolates are. It's not, this chocolate transports you there and you're imposing emotions onto the customer. I think customers have an individual relationship to their chocolates anyway. Is it a milk chocolate from your childhood? Is it the 100% that gives you a boost? So I didn't want to impose any ideas onto the customer, what they're supposed to taste or what they're supposed to feel. I leave that up to the customer why they're coming into the shop, what their desire is. Is it an escapism? Is it a nourishment? Mm. And that's why it is a fairly clear wall of menu information at the back. And I think that has become one of our signatures. Absolutely. I think it's brilliant. So you open these seven new shops expanding. So Mm -hmm. that's daunting for any founder, right, to Mm -hmm. have, have, have taken that leap. But not only that, you basically... Started in, in Rye, Clapham Junction, you launched in twenty February 2020. Mm-hmm. But you basically, you know what I'm going to say, you started expanding in a pandemic. Yep. You were lucky that you were in the industry that you have been because you were allowed to stay open. Mm. But talk to me as a founder about 
there must have been some sleepless nights about this decision to expand and what was happening. Absolutely. So it took a while to get to Clapham because um, so I was approached um, by somebody who's, who's looking after money and is is an entrepreneur and and is interested in startups because I'm I'm not a money person I'm the the chocolate person I mm-hmm. understand chocolate what it does to people and so on so there, there was potential scene and then we started talking and we started talking when was it um, 2019 in the summer of 2019 and then we put a team together we projected numbers and so on so on we opened um, Clapham. And I think we opened Clapham three weeks before the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. But of course, by the time we started building the second shop, there was no talk about a pandemic. Yeah, We were already on a on a chocolate high, yeah, I would say. Yeah, oh, yeah. we can see the future. It's going to be fantastic. And everybody will love it. And that's starting Clapham Junction because we have a really good deal there. It's a perfect corner site. Everybody's excited. It's, it's a great entry point into central London. And then boom. Yeah. Three weeks. And even in the first, I would say the first week or so, it was so extremely busy. Cues out the door, a lot of chatter, a lot of interviews. Uh, everybody wanted to work for us. Everybody wanted to come in. And then it started to get slower. It started to get quieter. Yes, the chatter was there about a new virus going around, but nobody, of course, had any idea about the severity mm. in terms of loss of life, as well as impact on businesses and mm. everything around it. Nobody had any idea. What did you do? Um, well, we complied immediately. Yeah. We stayed open as long as legally possible because uh, Clapham Junction is very, uh, our um, shopping Clapham Junction has very little seating. So we removed that immediately to yeah. um, bring it up to a COVID safe standard. So we can trade as long as possible and then we shut. Mm-hmm. There was always, before um, we opened Clapham Junction, there was always an online presence as well, where you can buy chocolate to make hot chocolates at home. So as soon as we knew we have to close Clapham Junction and Rye, of course, we focused very much on that because from a financial point of view, we we want to carry on, obviously, and we don't know how long we have to lock down. But we also want to bring the experience to the customers at home now that we can't give it to them. We bring it to them. Yeah, they can make it at home. We did a lot of online tutorials. Uh, provided them with the tools to recreate the experience they had in the shops. But how did you feel when you were closing that store? I speak from my own personal experience. You know, we have a a coffee shop in St. Margaret's. You know, I burst into tears because, for instance, it's a very unnatural thing to shut your shop. You know how much it takes to keep shops going. So then to be told, close it, Mm. and especially for yourself, just launched. It must have been a real, are we going to open up again? (laughs) How long is this going to last? Will we survive? I've just Mm. got this, you know, potentially investment. What am I going to to talk to me about that? Because I think this is the resilience us founders have versus maybe people who don't launch businesses. So it, I think it was twofold. I was in a haze mm. because you really had no idea what the next day brings. Yes. The government couldn't tell us what happens. Mm. Scientific advisors couldn't tell us what mm. happens. So even science couldn't tell us what happens. So there was nobody to guide us. All the guidance we got is you have to stop right now for safety yeah. reasons. So there was the, this kind of a little haze going on. I can't believe what's happening. 
this shouldn't have happened. I wish it would never have happened. And why does it happen now while I'm I'm just starting up the yes. business? Uh, it's a bad timing. Any timing is bad for a pandemic, but yes. Um, but then on the other hand, I immediately switched to, okay, this is an unknown. Let's fall back onto what we know. And that was the online business. That is yeah. the online business to provide something to the people and to get their business going. And I think it's done that with a lot of businesses, hasn't it? It's a lot of founders have gone and updated their websites, looked at that online experience, and potentially it's done a lot of good for online experience because we had to divert our attention, didn't we, and actually say, right, this is now needs to be everything. This is the whole brand online for I don't know how long. But we also have to take into account that some experiences cannot be recreated online. Correct. And that yes. is, of course, the impact it had on the high street. And many businesses have not made it yeah. because they can't recreate the yeah. experience yeah. that people wanted in the shops, in the stores. Let's let's talk about the example of Rye, where there were so many cute tea rooms, coffee shops. Yes. You can't do Deliveroo in a, in a small town like Rye yes. and so on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of sacrifices have been made there. We were lucky we were able to provide a continuation of the experience in the shop. But then when it opened back up for you, you were able to provide takeaway. Yeah. And... Am I right in thinking potentially you started thriving? Because actually I know that during, and I'm sure every listener's thinking about their local community and actually that comfort that it brought. Yep. There was nothing else to do. You were going out and here we come full circle back to the treat. Mm -hmm. That little thing, that one hot chocolate could be, you know, your actual, remember when we could only do one walk a day? That was the one thing that you were doing. So do you think that your business almost in a way thrived, not because you wanted it to, but because it actually had its place? I'm reluctant to say that we thrived because. Yes. It sets the wrong message. Correct, yes. But I think what we did, we gave a lot of comfort to the people that have suffered for a long, long time. I have the privilege of living in the countryside. I have a small garden here. But I never, ever forgot what people had to endure within central London, mm. in a small apartment, in a high rise somewhere. So personally, and I'm not just talking about a financial point of view here, personally, I couldn't wait to open mm. and give that comfort and the treat back to the people. And the queues were long. Because we were very strict when customers were coming in. And some were stropping. Mm, Why yeah. do you only let two people into the shop? I said, yeah. it's for your safety as well as mine. Yeah. Why do you not take cash anymore? Yeah. You don't want to take our change. We don't want your cash. Yeah. So we had some very strict measures in place. Mostly welcome, but some, some people were anxious and were stress. So they had to let it out somewhere as well. But we battled through that because we understand that everybody was under pressure. But here is the treat you so deserve after such a long hardship, so many weeks, yeah. months, uncertainty, loss. Let me help you with that. So talking about the brand, you also believe in sustainability. Mm. Um, and as we watch businesses grow, that will become more and more of prevalent part of people's business plan and their future. And anything from your packaging you use, your countertops, companies that you source your milk from, mm -hmm. of course, your chocolate. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm asking you this is because, remember, people are listening who might be dreaming about starting a business, might have a business, might not have been able to put as much sustainability into it as they want to, mm -hmm. why was it important that that was built 
from the start in your business? Um, because customers are asking and we want to provide honest answers. We don't want to greenwash. We want to say, okay, we are still working on this. It is work in progress. So we do want to be honest, especially with us working in the chocolate industry, which is always questioned. How much do you do? And we always, we choose our collaborators very carefully. Um, but packaging, we always review new materials on the market. We had some feedback about our um, inner packaging in the tubes. We're going to upgrade that as, as quickly as possible. I think it pays off. It gives you credibility with the customers. You're making an effort, you care, and you listen to your customers as well. I, I think it's it's super important. You can see it in the stores. We're messaging it. We have all the facts and, and data available if customers want to know. Mm. The milk is a beautiful story. I know the cows. Yeah, We know where the milk is coming from, which gives a certain reassurance as well. We know what's in that hot chocolate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the, the you know, this golden thread we spoke about at the beginning of this conversation about your childhood or, or ideas that people have and they look back to their childhood and they think there is the connection. Similarly, I think we should look at everything that we do mm. and what is that golden thread? As you said, you, I love that. I know the cows, you mm. know, I know Daisy and this is yep. where the, your milk yep. is coming from. <laughs> and also that you can't be pitch perfect. Yep. I think this greenwashing thing that's going on at the moment, I was speaking to the founders of um, Petalon, a beautiful flower company on this podcast, and they very openly said, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not 100%. And I think that that is... It's so admirable when we actually admit, no, we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. We're getting there. It's yep. a journey. Come along with us. Actually help us do this. Mm. I saw um, in on Instagram, actually, you visited a plantation in Peru. Correct. And you mm -hmm. planted your own cacao tree. Yeah. Was that an incredible experience? Absolutely. Hey, I'm, I'm coming from, from the Northern Hemisphere in, 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 from Germany, where it's always minus 10 or 15 in the, in the winter. There's no cacao plant anywhere near there. It was a, a very humbling experience because they're um, hardworking farmers. They, they have been growing uh, cacao trees for over generations. So it's a very different lifestyle. They love what they're doing. They're very proud of, this is what we produce for you. Make something out of that. Mm. I was a fish out of water, obviously, because I'm a, I'm a yes. cold weather person and suddenly I'm sleeping in a tent. I'm six foot three, the tent is six foot in the middle of the jungle. So yeah, okay. <laughs> but I, I, learned, I learned a lot and I can pass that information on to the customer who's drinking. Uh, that beautiful 65% dark chocolate from Peru. Um, just to tell them, I met the farmer. I haven't met all the farmers, but that is a quest. I'm going, the more we can travel, the more I want to absorb the knowledge firsthand. Mm. I'm talking to the farmers to get an emotional bond as well, to tell them this is the feedback we have from the customer yes. who drank the hot chocolate has been made out of your cacao beans. So that link. But it, it was a sensational experience. And with a little bit of luck, I might go to Venezuela this summer oh, wow. to visit some very, very special people that have been cacao farmers for eight or nine generations, over 200 years. That's a privilege. Absolute yeah. privilege. Here I am having done this for now coming into the ninth year. And they have been making the best cacao. They've been growing the best cacao for 200 years. And being invited there, that is a massive privilege. So I will absorb everything I can and take 
thousands of pictures. Yeah. So it can it can travel back with me. Absolutely. And I can communicate yeah. that. Tell me, do you think we are becoming more distant from our origins of what we consume? Um Yes, um, because obviously, to start with, we're we are eating chocolate that doesn't grow in this country. We're eating strawberries in the winter that don't grow in this country. Mm. But I think there is a big trend to understand where is it coming from. Traceability. People want to know. Uh, they don't just want to be blindfolded and then um, just guess what they're having. There is a strong trend toward the traceability. Where is it coming from? Who has it grown we have the answers. Not everybody has, but that is definitely a trend. Yeah, they just want to understand what they're putting into their body. I always remember Tim Smith from Eden talking on this podcast about how uh, how he would have voted differently with Brexit if the notion had been, hey, we're going to grow everything in our own country. Mm. And yes, you're not going to be able to get certain things in certain months, mm. But know that everything is grown in this country. And there is something about this. I think that you're right in saying there is an absolute growing awareness mm. that we're now looking to look at the air miles. We're looking at where the origin of this, as you said, this strawberry, maybe talk to our children that we actually maybe shouldn't be actually eating this in mm. this month. What else could we substitute that mm. with? Do you worry about competition I ask this because we talk a lot in this community about copying. We talk a lot about uh, big businesses taking too much inspiration from small businesses. You have a, ultimately, you have a hot chocolate brand. Mm -hmm. Do you worry about someone saying, well, that's quite a clever idea. L mm. Let me do what he's doing. Mm. We got to be fast. I admit that. Luckily, we have spearheaded something very, very unique, yet very familiar. Mm. And everybody, the, the question I hear, why has nobody else done this? If anyone says, why has someone else not done this? Mm. I think that is the biggest compliment. Yeah. And I think it's the seedling comment of a very big brand. Because it's taking the space, isn't it, in people's imagination. Like, mm. why has no one else done this? Yeah. Which means they already can perceive it being maybe in every town. So carry on. So I just wanted to say no, no, that no, to I you. Love that. That's you a know, big I, I think I think that that is a phrase. If anyone hears this phrase, this is an excellent phrase to someone to say to you. So we're moving fast. We have opened uh, quite a few shops in a very short time, and, and under these circumstances, um, everybody says, "Okay, you're fast," because we recognise that um, that we are successful. And if 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 people perceive us as, as successful, they want a slice of that. Fair enough, but. Knorps is becoming synonymous with drinking chocolate mm. and nobody can take that away. Then you would have to call it Maya or Richmond or something else, a, a different name. Yeah. Um, but Knorps is becoming that. And um, we haven't mentioned it yet, but there is a meaning in the word Knorp. Yes. So, so there this is, is the it. Link. So <laughs> yes, it's the link. So tell me about this because your last name is Knorp mm -hmm. and your Brand is Knoops. Yep. But what does it mean? And I, I love this connection. Okay. So Knoop is, is my surname. It's very popular in the no north of Germany. But in Germany itself, it doesn't have a meaning. Knoop in the Netherlands means button. 
Yes. So we are working predominantly with chocolate buttons. Um, obviously, it was meant to be before, before I was born. So I think there's a there's a link. Nobody else can have that. That's my link. <laughs> that, that's your link, and you've got it absolutely. We interviewed uh, someone called um, Freddie. He has a business called Freddie's Flowers, and his last name his name is Freddie Garland, okay. as in flower garland. Yeah. So we always love these little things. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. So tell me, I think that what you're building is fantastic. Uh, what I love is that I think. As someone said, why has no one else done this? I think we're going to see Knoops launching all over our country. And again, it's a brand that it's one to watch. I think it's one of these things where, as you said, it's in its niche, Mm. But you're you're having so much fun in the niche. You That's know? It. And I think this is where the independent high street will thrive. If we have founders who go and find their niche mm. and then play with it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a beautiful thing. What are your thoughts about the future then? Are you a dreamer? Are you a visionary? Um I don't think I'm dream. I'm dreaming. I'm quite realistic. And I am feeding on the feedback. I'm getting yes. from the customers. So I'm in the shops all the time. So I grab the customers and ask them, so what is it? Do you like it? What can we change? So I'm not living in a dream world, but I know I want to be as good as possible at what I am and what we are doing. So I think there is no limit to the future. What is really interesting, when I was working for six, seven years in the rye shop every day, when I opened, I had this idea in my head. I have traveled to Asia and I never saw chocolate. I never saw cow's milk, dairy there, that I would fail um, serving Asian customers because it's not part of the food culture mm-hmm. as well as they might be lactose intolerant because that's not part of their daily um, diet. How wrong was I? Really? Totally wrong. Rye is a tourist place. A lot of Asian tourists love visiting Rye because it's quintessentially English and they always come in and they love it. They absolutely love it. So that has broadened my mind where Knorps can go. Ah, right. So we're talking global here. I can't see it failing anywhere. Of course you can't. This is the beauty of founders, you know. It's just like we're impenetrable. You know, it's like (laughs) exact. I love that. I love that that it isn't going to fail anywhere. But I think the Italians could be stroppy. Yes, they could be. (laughs) Well, don't go there first, okay? okay. Don't go there. I love the Italians, but they have a very strong food culture. They're very proud of it. You cannot compete with that. It's the mother makes it best. Nobody yes. else does it as well as their mother. <laughs> and they're right. But... And they are actually <laughs> yeah. right, aren't they? Jens, it's been lovely to talk to you. My family's a firm, firm fan awesome. of your, what you've created, <laughs> as you said. And it's costing my son uh, a small fortune, seeing as uh, hot chocolate now is his go-to drink. <laughs> um, everybody on this podcast ends with two questions. Um What would you say has been one of your biggest lows throughout your career? And Mm -hmm. we're talking about the roller coaster of being a founder, the Mm -hmm. ups and downs, um, sort of when you're feeling sick to your stomach and then when you're so high that you can't think of anything better in life. So tell Mm -hmm. me about what you've found to be one of your biggest lows so far. I think the, and I talked about this long and, and hard because Altogether, I'm very, very happy how it's going. But there were certain moments where I thought, what is happening? And there was COVID and and lockdown related. And there was the weeks to the build up, seeing the customer numbers dropping, 
feeling the anxiety in the air, um, the mood in Rye as well as Clapham, um, fewer people coming in, the staff getting more anxious, um, understandably. How will this pan out? Is this the end of Knobs? Mm. And then, of course, switching to plan B, how can we prepare for an uncertain future? Um, what can we do in order to progress? But that was that was high stress. Yeah. And then also justifying in front of um, other people. No, we are continuing our journey. This is temporarily. No, no matter how long it will take, we will come out at the end and we will prevail and we will still give you the best possible hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that was that was a tough time. I don't think we'll realise really what us founders have gone through until a couple of more years because mm. actually the reserves that it's taken and actually to come out fighting is unbelievable and it's it's not what many people have ever experienced we've mm. had a very unique experience one i hope we'll never ever repeat yeah. but conversely what's that greatest high then mm -hmm. so far um and again it i i would I can if i can say two things yes of course um so it was the day one of us um approached if we, if I, if I would be willing to roll this out and on a bigger scale, it's one specific moment, one specific day, um, when uh, my business partner came in and said, Hey, Jens, let's have a chat. So that was a dream come true because I knew me, myself, I can't do that. Yes. I need a support team of people who understand numbers, who understand property, everything, especially going into central London. It's, it can be minefield. Yeah. I know people who are experienced to understand it, who have negotiation skills and so on and so on. And I have a fantastic team around me who helped me to bring this further. And the other one is when a customer, and this happens, it happens occasionally, but it does happen, walks out of the shop with a hot chocolate and then comes back, sticks the head around the corner and says, this is the best thing I ever tasted. <laughs> it brings goosebumps to um, on my skin. It's at the moment validates everything. Yeah. Everything. And it's just, it's a few words and that's it. Whatever you go through, if you get that feedback, you have reached a goal. Gosh, I totally agree. And how simple is that? Yeah. How beautiful and how simple. Yeah. It's been such a lovely conversation. And I know that you've prepared a letter to your younger self as well, Jens. And I would I would ask if you might share that with us today. Absolutely, with pleasure. Dear Jens, don't be shocked that I'm speaking in English to you. Many years forward and your knowledge of the English language will have improved dramatically. How was your session with a career advisor? You're good at everything and you can become whatever you want to be. That fills you with pride, but don't get cocky. But it doesn't really help you, does it? You will become very good at something. And it hasn't really been invented yet at the time when you received this letter. Unless subconsciously you already know what a knopologist is. Whatever you do, the paths you'll take, the people you meet, it will all lead to this. The chocolate grandmother is giving you, the movies you watch, the places you have lived and will live in, the friends you make and the ones you lose, health and sickness, 
the pictures you will take as a photographer and the beloved cameras you will reluctantly have to sell. Wealth and financial hardship. Everything you do adds up and it will make sense. Just be patient. The seed has been planted and it needs to grow and mature. And if you have any doubts now, let me reassure you. Don't worry, you're doing okay. It will not always be plain sailing, but you will succeed. In case you haven't noticed, you can call yourself very lucky that your family trusts you with your choices. It will take you some time to acknowledge the emotional and financial support you receive. Thank everyone now, as your supporters will not be around forever. And don't take it for granted either, as they're making big sacrifices so you can grow into something they can be proud of. I know you hate maths, history, English, physics, pretty much everything in school right now. Fine art and sports are fun though. In short, too cool for school. But think about this. Everything you can absorb now will make you a better person with an informed and open mind. I don't agree with the saying, this is the best time of your life, but it certainly is a very important time in your life. Just try your best now. You can fight it later under miscellaneous, especially maths and physics. Enough about school. Go and travel. Live abroad. Throw yourself into it. Eat food you don't recognize. Visit places that don't have decipherable names and speak to people you don't understand. You will stand in front of a Scottish lady in a bakery. She will ask you something you don't understand. Just say yes. Your German roots will always come through. You're six foot three and have a very strong accent. Be assured it doesn't go unnoticed. But your short yet unpronounceable name will be seen by many people in London, the UK, and many more places to come. Your name will become a synonym and you will give people something special. You will give them a lot of happiness. All the losses and all the gains on your path will lead to this. Let's have a knoops. And believe it or not, the dark chocolates you are ignoring right now and pushing to the furthest corner of the gift box. Those will be your first choice in a few years. Trust me. Take care of yourself and others. Jens. Oh, <laughs> I love thinking of young Jens pushing the dark chocolate aside. Oh. I'm thinking of the tray. I'm thinking of that yep. uh, armchair that your grandmother had and she's covered the arms so that mm. you didn't get it dirty and you're pushing that dark chocolate yep. away and take yourself 40 odd years forward. Mm -hmm. And here we are talking today at the beginning of a very successful journey. I can already picture it. And uh, congratulations, Jens, for you, um, obviously going through a lot to be here today. And uh, we always don't we we don't actually recognize what us founders have gone through sacrificed mm. sold our cameras done whatever it's taken to get to a certain point and yep. these are the un the hidden parts of it so i wish you all the luck thank you holly i want to meet your son um thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to everybody 
Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.